So this morning, uh, we're starting a new series looking through uh, the book of Acts. Um, and first of all, just, I mean, it's been an incredible summer, hasn't it? A heat wave summer, yeah? yeah. Did anyone had enough of the sun yet? No. no, no. Few people have. Linda, you've had enough of the sun. Yeah, it's fair enough. We've got to move on at some point, haven't we? Yeah. Um, but it's been like, a, there's been loads of scary photos. I don't know if you've seen kind of some of the wildfires that have been uh, going on across kind of Europe and across the world over this summer. It's been quite scary, hasn't it? When you look and see kind of some of the fires and even stuff that's kind of hit our shores. I don't know if you uh, if you drive along the, uh, the road to Norwich um, through past Beckles, you can see, can't you? Is it uh, Stockton? Is it the place just outside of Beckles? You can see where there was a massive fire on one side of the road, and then it actually had gone over to the other side. It crossed over the road. It was all around that house that's just there. You can see kind of all scorched there. It's been kind of bizarre, hasn't it? I've never seen those sort of things and those kind of wildfires. And those sort of wildfires, they spread really fast, don't they? They look really dramatic, and then they, they leave a legacy. They change the landscape of the, of the, of the ground that they, they cover. And today we're starting this series where we're looking uh, through the, the kind of the big picture look at Acts, and the, the book of Acts, which is really around kind of the launch of the church era, kind of the, what we're in now. This is kind of where it all started, going back to the beginning, really, right at the beginning 2,000 years ago of, of where the church really took, took forth. And, and it's a bit like, I guess in some ways, you, I kind of think you can see kind of the church era a bit like those kind of wildfires that have taken place over this summer. They, the church spread really fast. Uh, it's been quite dramatic. And when you read through the book of Acts and beyond, and you can see actually it's changed the landscape of the world. The church has changed the world. The, the mission of, of Christ has changed the world. It started with a handful of that two and a half billion people would identify as followers of Christ today on the planet let alone all the people that have lived in the last 2,000 years that have said that they follow Christ. So it's had a massive effect, hasn't it? You know, from this handful of disciples through to the numbers, the billions of people that claim to, to follow Christ uh, now. So we want to look at, today we're going to look at how it first started, how that, the fire of the church first got lit and what we can learn from it ourselves. So we start in, in Acts 1. I'm not going to read all of our passages today, because they're quite long passages we're looking at. So we're just going to kind of dip in and tell the story and then dig a little bit more into hopefully what God maybe wants to speak to us about right now. So with this act starts, if you don't know, kind of, if you're not that familiar with this story, Jesus has died uh, and Jesus has risen again. Uh, That's the big kind of culmination of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, this sense where uh, the, the mission of Jesus, what he came to accomplish, um, has been completed. And so Jesus has risen, and we pick up in verse 3 of Acts 1. It says, after his suffering, that's after Jesus is suffering, it's talking about his death and his resurrection. He says, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So it all starts with Jesus, this Jesus who was crucified by the Romans, who were very good at crucifixion. He was properly dead, uh, was dead for three days in the tomb and then rose again because he's the son of God. Not because he's a circus act or because he fainted or because they hadn't really properly killed him. Actually, he was properly dead and he properly rose again because he properly is the son of God. And so here, this moment where it talks about how for 40 days after his resurrection, he'd gone around speaking to people, showing proofs that he was alive. So it wasn't just like this myth, you know, kind of, oh, yeah, I've heard that he might be alive, but no one's actually seen him. He was giving convincing proofs to all these people. And they reckon that uh, people, at least the 400 people met with Jesus in that period of time um, between his resurrection 
and then in going back to heaven. So this sense where Jesus has been walking around, showing people he genuinely was alive. We then go into verse 9 where it says, After he said this, Jesus, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him before their sight. Some people might say, well, if Jesus died and then rose again, where is he now? Well, actually, he's back in heaven. because He didn't die again. Uh, he didn't just get old. It wasn't just like, yeah, do you remember when I rose from the dead? And then he got to his deathbed. There's this moment 40 days after his resurrection where this incredible moment where he, I guess it was kind of like where the first kind of Star Trek beam me up Scotty kind of moment where, you know, Jesus was standing on this mountain with the disciples and this cloud of God enveloped him and then he was gone. Take it, he wasn't he hadn't just sort of a cloud of company, he nipped down the mountain and hid somewhere, you know, and pretended he had gone back to heaven. Jesus had re- returned back to heaven, and that's where he is now. He's never died again because he's the son of God, um, and he's now in a human form back in heaven. So the story then goes on. The, the disciples are left um, kind of amazed, and I guess, you know, that's a pretty startled, I'd imagine, by that kind of moment. But they, often ha- they obviously had to, to kind of regroup themselves, as disciples, there was 12 of them, but obviously they'd lost one of them because Judas uh, had betrayed Jesus and, and he'd gone and killed himself. So they were down to 11. It was important they had 12 disciples. I think that's probably symbolic of the 12 tribes of, of Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, so in verse 23 to 26, we see them then kind of regrouping themselves. So it says, they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, known as Justus, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go to where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. So Jesus returned to heaven, and the disciples, they're not just kind of thought, whoa, that was interesting, wasn't it? Right, we'll just go back to fishing and tax collecting and doing all the other stuff. They recognized that there was like a ministry on them, this apostolic ministry. There's something that God had charged them with, and therefore they regrouped got their numbers back up to where it was supposed to be and they were ready for what was to come next and what was to come next was this amazing power encounter that jesus had promised he said when i when i go that i'm going to send one the holy spirit who is actually it's going to be better that i go because then the holy spirit's going to be poured out and you can all have my power and it not just be residing in me and so we see into chapter two right at the beginning there and says when on the day of Pentecost came, which was this feast, this celebration in the Jewish calendar, they were all together in one place, the disciples. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. If you're familiar with the Bible or church, you know it's an incredibly famous passage this moment where the power of god the holy spirit was poured out onto those disciples and and supernatural things started happening things that they weren't able to do themselves like speaking in other languages suddenly became something that was like happening to them naturally happening to them these supernatural things started to take place so the power came on the disciples and they spilled out from where they were at that time into the streets there was loads of people from all around the kind of the, the, the culture at that time of coming to Jerusalem, and they started speaking in these supernatural tongues, but actually happened to be the languages of lots of these people, which made people think, what on earth is going on? Immediately, immediately they thought, these people are just drunk, uh, and then they realized that actually something more powerful was going on. 
And Peter, who was kind of like the, I guess, the, uh, the kind of chief spokesman of the disciples, he stood up and he, he kind of addressed all these, the crowds that were out there that were standing and looking, saying, what's going on with these people? What's happening? And he gives this amazing preach where he talks about, explains what's happening and really puts everything together for people, helping them to see who Jesus really was and the fact that he died and rose again. And that now makes a difference and we now have to follow him. In verse 22, it says this, this kind of concluding part of what Peter says. It says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And he expands that more. And he says, look, this is, he says to them, look, this is this Jesus. This is the person that's been amongst us for three years, caused all this controversy. Uh, in the end, you put him to death. And actually, his resurrection shows he really was who he said he was, which was the son of God. And therefore, actually, we need to follow him. We need to listen to what he said. We need to take him seriously. He's now alive in heaven. And now, like we've been singing about this morning, he now kind of demands our life. We're going to, no turning back. We're going to now follow him. And this is this incredible kind of moment where, even on that day, thousands of people who before weren't believers suddenly said, actually, we've got it completely wrong. This Jesus really was the son of God, and therefore we should follow him and give our lives to him. And in that day, the church kind of was born when people actually turned and said, I'm going to follow Christ now, and I'm going to join with other believers in community together, and we're going to live out this Christian life together. This is the moment where the fire of the church was lit. Incredibly exciting, incredibly new season for God's dealings with mankind. Because in the Old Testament, God's people were the nation of Israel. Um, it, you were born into it. It was, it, was, it was based on God's chosen nation. You were part of God's people by your race, by your birth, by uh, the, how you happened to be born. But when Jesus came, the, the long-promised Messiah, he didn't come just to save Israel. He didn't come just to be the Messiah for Israel. He actually came to open the doors open to God's family, to all people, that through faith in Jesus. Now, it's not about where you're born, on, on your race, and your, on your heritage. It's now about who you know, and that person being Jesus, who you put your faith in, who you see as your saviour. And this kind of fire imagery, when you think about the church being like this wildfire that took off and went across the world, is quite apt, really, when you think about how the Holy Spirit came to people. Those first disciples, like those tongues of fire um, resting over them. And when I was thinking about that, it got me thinking about kind of what you need to do to start a fire. What the kind of ingredients you need to start a fire. Do any of you remember, uh, if you're of a certain age, do any of you remember Wellyfant? Come on, some of those Julian does. Do you remember? There's a big red elephant that was dressed up as a fireman that used to go around for fire safety. Was it? It was just my era at school, probably, yeah. Okay, we can Google him in a minute. He's quite a good-looking chap. But anyway, do you remember the fire triangle that Wellyfant used to talk about? The fire triangle. Seriously. <laughs> okay, Wellyfant, it's not just Wellyfant, it's still real. If you do any, has anyone done any fire training at work? Right, you need to go back and do it again, because it talks about the fire triangle, okay? What are the three components you need to start a fire? Air, more specifically? 
Oxygen. Yeah. Thanks, Simon. Yeah. <laughs> Go back to your training and do it again. Um, okay, you need oxygen. Someone said sticks. Yeah, what, what, what stick? It's a fuel. Thanks, Julian. Wellifant friend. Okay. And what's the third one? Yes, heat. You need heat and ignition, that kind of thing. You need something like three, the fire triangles. See, if you don't, if you, if you don't remember anything else, you've, rem- you've learned something this morning. Okay. Blimey. The fire triangle is you need, you need fuel, you need heat, and you need oxygen to start a fire. And the church era, I guess, is a bit like that spiritual fire that started on the day of Pentecost. And it's going to burn across the world until Jesus one day returns when he brings in a new era, the new heavens and the new earth. And that fire of the church, which was started right back then, has actually burned brighter at some points in history than at other points. Sometimes it's burned brightly, sometimes it's kind of come back down to a, a, a smaller amount, but the fire has never gone out. I found a really good like, animation video we're just going to watch now, which shows the charting of, of, kind of Christianity across the world over the last two years to show how the fire has kind of gone across the world, it's shrunk, it's gone again, just helps us to see how amazing and dramatic this really is. Over to you, Sarah, on videos. That's just quite a helpful illustration, isn't it, of seeing how this wildfire from these first day, this day of Pentecost, how it's changed the world as we know it and still has more to go. So going back to our fire triangle, what, how does that kind of relate to the church? Because I think what we can see in our passage today that we're looking at, we can see aspects of the fire triangle that we can see in a spiritual sense in the church that helps us to see why this fire has spread and had the effect it's had. So if we think about oxygen, I would say that what we can see from here, that's like the truth of the resurrected Jesus. That's what changed the game for the disciples, wasn't it? That actually it was the truth that Jesus really had risen from the dead. 
He went round, he showed themselves, he, he gave convincing proofs that he was alive. And that was what, what Peter stood up and preached about. This Jesus that you crucified actually has now risen again. He is now alive, proving that he was the son of God. That's the, the, the key kind of truth, really, that was part of this day of Pentecost, that, that actually part of that triangle that kick-started the church era. Heat, obviously, is the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit coming, without the Holy Spirit descending upon his disciple on the disciples, then this would never have happened, would it? Without heat coming, the power of the Holy Spirit. And the fuel, I think, really is the need of the world for a saviour. That actually, if there was no need for the rest of the world to be saved, there's no need for Peter then to stand up and declare Jesus as the Son of God, and you should follow him. There's no need for him to say, well, turn from your old ways and now start following him. That actually, if, if the whole world was saved just because Jesus did die and rise again, then actually there's no need for, for the church, is there? Because actually everyone's saved anyway. The need was there, and that's what prompted Peter to stand up and declare the truth of the resurrected Jesus. So what's the state of the fire now? It's a good reflection of what's the state of the fire in the church now across our, our town, across our nation, across the world. I think when you look at uh, across the world, there's some places where it's burning brightly and burning in other parts, other continents and other parts of the world. Maybe in the Western world, it's not bright, burning so brightly as it maybe was once in the past. Maybe it varies in place to place. We have to remember all the time as Christians that we have an enemy who is seeking to dampen and put out the fire of the church. Yeah, we don't, we don't live in a neutral world. Spiritually, we know that God has an enemy, Satan. And that actually the Bible tells us that what he's looking to do is to seek, rob and destroy everything that Jesus and God ever does. Anything made in his image, anything that does. So the church is a big target for God's enemy. Because if we're the ones that are to bring this fire of God to the world, then what's he going to try and do? He's going to try and get in there and dampen down and do that. Over the even last few years, COVID and lockdowns, they've killed momentum across society, haven't they? So many things that were going well and doing this. Suddenly these lockdowns, the last couple of years, has, has killed momentum in this pandemic. And I think that's, we've got to say that's true of the church as well, hasn't it? That actually, you know, there's a, been a, it's been a massive shaking of the church generally. Uh, and we've had challenges ourselves, haven't we? We look and think, oh, it's not quite this and it's not quite that. And things have happened that have added to that as well, really. So my question when I was reading this and thinking, well, how do we then get the church burning brightly again? I know it's not our job, but how do we play our part in seeing the church burn brightly again? I don't think it's part of God's plan that actually when you look at that map, that animation, that then after the year sort of 2022, that suddenly, you know, in our nation, suddenly that, that blue thing goes away because the fire of the church went out. I don't think that's part of God's plan, is it? I don't think that's part of God's heart anyway. And it's about what do we need to do to play our part in seeing that burn brightly. Well, I wonder whether it's some of it is coming back to the simplicity of the spiritual fire triangle, the church fire triangle, communicating the good news of the resurrected Jesus again, being as full of the Holy Spirit's power as we possibly can be, and reminding ourselves daily of the lost need of the world around us in spiritual terms. You see, I think church sometimes can become too complicated. Over 2,000 years, I wonder if the, if, if the apostles who were there at the day of Pentecost popped in and saw us now, 
They think, how on earth did you get to there from there? Do you think? Sometimes I think, how do they how do they do it? Sometimes church becomes too political. It comes about too much about personal preferences, about what entertains us. And sometimes I think we've got too complicated. Now, some, a lot of those things are all necessary and needed and fine, but. Sometimes I wonder, have we lost the simplicity that kick-started the church era back here on the day of Pentecost? I think if we're going to keep burning, and even for us as a local church here, a local community of believers, if we're going to keep burning with the fire of God and, and, and burn brighter and bigger, then actually I think we've got to get back to having those three things at the center of everything we do. Keeping the truth of the resurrection the main thing that we talk about. You see, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we're all complete losers, okay? And we need to get a bit more of a life. Because if Jesus was dead and wasn't the Son of God, then we're, the Bible says, Paul, Apostle Paul says, we're all to be pitied more than anyone because we've just made up an imaginary friend just to get us through life. That's the reality, isn't it? But if he really did rise from the dead, then it changes absolutely everything. That's what we've been seeing about this morning. It's like, I'm going to give my life to follow this Jesus who rose from the dead. You see, that's, that was the main message the apostles took. And we'll see that as we go through the book of Acts. The primary thing they talked about was the resurrected Jesus. They didn't, they didn't have, actually, the rest of the New Testament to dig into. I'm not saying that theology is bad. Theology is good. It can lead us to a greater knowledge of God and worship of God. But actually, the prime theology we should be interested in is Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus is resurrected. That's the main message that we should be living our lives on, the thing that gets us out of bed, the thing that we talk about, the thing that actually we should be known for. If we as a local church are known by anybody outside of our church for any kind of theological thing other than those guys really believe Jesus rose from the dead, then I think we've missed it. If we're known because we believe this about church or that about church, before people say, yeah, they, all they talk about though is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and he's still alive and he's still relevant to life and he's still someone we need to follow then i think we missed it because that was the simple truth that they got up and spoke about on that first day and that's what changed and kick-started and lit the fire of the church and we'll see as we go through acts how that's what they talk about the whole time is that jesus died and jesus risen again and therefore he is the messiah he is the one we should be following we need to be focusing on the power of the holy spirit we must continue to really seek the genuine power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and not just live off the experiences we've had so far. I don't think that the church in the Western world, certainly, has really seen the real power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure I have seen the real power of the Holy Spirit in my life. We see little bits and pieces here and there, don't we? But power that sets fire like this and sees things burn and lives change and thousands of people come to faith and miracles are taking place. I'm not sure we really, really experience that power. I think we sometimes settle for little crumbs and think, oh, whoa, aren't, we, aren't we really supernatural? And, and that, we're not despising those things, but I'm sh I, when you read this stuff, you think there's something way more deeper, more genuine, more supernatural that I don't think we as God's people in the West have really, really experienced. And it's needed in the church fire triangle, isn't it? Because if, if it's not there, it's not going to happen. We have to be something. I don't know how we do that. I've got no idea. But I'm sure we need to pray harder for it. <laughs> I'm sure that's the one thing we can do in our own lives and for us as a, as a community of believers as well. 
And we need to keep the third part of that church fire triangle burning brightly as well. The fact that we have, there is a massive need around us for people to know that they have a saviour. You see, I think sometimes we can even um, have lots of other purposes as church that we see other things that are important. They are important and how we care for each other and do this and do that. But actually the primary need we have is to show the world that they need a saviour. That's the fuel. That's the fuel. That's, if, if the world didn't need a saviour, then the church wouldn't have been born. Peter wouldn't have got up and preached. But there is a need out there. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning as your saviour, then you are going to face, after you die, an eternity away from God. Which isn't, whatever it is, isn't going to be good. Okay? The only way you will be actually be able to spend eternity in heaven, on the new heaven and the new earth, with Jesus Christ in the presence of God, is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and following him wholeheartedly with your life. That's, that's the message here. And, and that's the message our world needs to hear. And whatever we do, our goal always must be, there's a need out beyond our walls as it were, metaphorically. And we mustn't allow any other purpose that we, it's very legitimate purposes, but the ultimate purpose is always there's a, there's a lost world out there that needs to hear the truth that Jesus is resurrected by people that are full of the Holy Spirit. You see, that, that, that's, that's what starts, that's the, the, the fire triangle that kick-started the church era, that set that wildfire all across the world that we saw on that animation. And the truth is, if you remove any of those three elements from the fire triangle, the fire dies, doesn't it? You don't have to lose all three of them, you can just lose one of them. That's why when you've done all your fire safety training at work, you'll be fully familiar that things like fire blankets get rid of the oxygen, don't they, Linda? Yeah. Yeah, you've forgotten already. It gets rid of the oxygen. It puts it out, doesn't it? If you get rid of the heat... The ignition, that will put the fire out. If you get rid of the fuel, that will, once, it's, once something's burned up, all the fuel, then it, it stops burning, doesn't it? The fire goes out. The fire of the church will die if we allow any of those three elements to be dampened and to be removed. And, and sadly, you know, we mustn't kid ourselves that that won't happen to us, even as a local church, as a local community of believers. Because I know Jesus said he'll build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. But he was talking about the worldwide church. He wasn't talking about individual churches. Because otherwise, no church would ever shut, would it? But sadly, they do. Sadly, we see churches throughout history have started and, and finished. Some for good reason, some just because the fire went out. And we are no different. We can't sit and just say, well, we've always done things this way, or we've always been like that, or, or we've seen great things happen in the past. It's not about that now. It's about looking ahead and saying we don't want to see our church community die out. We don't want to see the gospel fire in Lowestoft die out. There's a need out there. We have a mandate from God, along with all the other churches in the town. We want to see... You know, on that map, we want to see there's some on the right edge of Lowest uh, of England this randomly big burning fire, don't we, over Lowestoft? Why? Because we've realised that there's elements we mustn't ever let get removed from who we are. And I don't think we should be resting on our laurels. We must say, okay, there's a fight on for the church. We have an enemy. He wants to dampen the fire. He wants to put it out. 
we've had loads of stuff going on over the last few years, which has COVID and other stuff, which has dampened the fire. But it doesn't have to go out. It doesn't have to go out because, yes, Jesus is building his church. And these things we can't manufacture, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit in our life. We can't manufacture that, but we can pray and we can position ourselves and cry out to God and say, visit us afresh in a fresh power. We can be saying, I, 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 my, my prime focus is the resurrected Jesus. That's what I'm going to talk about. That's what I'm going to get excited about ahead of anything. And, and I'm going to allow other theological things to take second place to the truth that Jesus is the resurrected son of God. And I'm not going to allow other purposes in my life to trump the fact that there's a need out there. Whatever that looks like, however I apply it, whether that's by whatever way I do it, there is a need of a lost world that must be the fuel in our, in our tanks. And see, as, we go, as we begin this journey, going through the book of Acts, looking at the very early days, I think we really just need to say, God, speak to us afresh. Challenge us afresh. Let's be open to being challenged about thinking what it means to be a church, a local community of believers. Baggage that we've picked up along the way of what church looks like, we might need to say that isn't always helpful. Well, actually, it was helpful then, but actually, for the new era that God's in the new season, the, the years ahead, it might be that we have to let some of our own traditions and preferences be put to one side. And let's not kid ourselves, just because we don't meet in a stone building, we haven't got our traditions and our preferences. Yeah? You all sit in roughly the same places every week for a star, <laughs> let alone all the other things. Yeah? It's on, Exactly. So we must allow some of those traditions and premises to say, okay, that was good for them, but it's not necessarily good for the future. We might need to have a, adopt a new way of operating. We might have to say we're not going to get stuck into our way of doing things. But the key to it all is that the fire of God keeps burning brightly in our town. That the church in Lowestoft and the surrounding areas is proclaiming the good news of the resurrected Jesus. That we're full of the power of the Holy Spirit and we're motivated primarily by a desire to see this good news brought to a spiritually dark world. If we do that, the fire won't go out. And that's what we can see from here. What was there? Those elements. Let's go back to simplicity and see those things set fire again. Are we up for it? It's probably the question we all have to ask ourselves. Let's just pray. And then Dan and the band, if you'd like to, to come back. Jesus, we thank you that you did rise again. We thank you, Jesus, that you didn't stay dead. That it wasn't just a mission of moral teaching and uh, uh, amazing um, activity, but actually it was a mission of salvation. It was a mission to bring salvation, make salvation possible, that returning once again to the Father, one, returning once again to relationship with the Father was open and possible through faith in you. And Lord, we want to be stirred afresh by those truths. We know those truths. So many of us in this room know them all our lives, most of our lives, Lord, but we want you to bring it a fresh enthusiasm, a fresh joy about that to us again. Grip our hearts afresh again. Holy Spirit, would you visit us in power again? Visit your church in this town, across the, this town, all the Christians in this town. Visit us afresh in your power, Holy Spirit. We don't want to just settle for what we've known. We don't want to settle for even our expectations. We, want, we need your supernatural power. So would you visit us afresh? And Lord, just keep stirring our hearts with your heart for the lost, for the world around us that needs to know you. Lord, not only would their life be transformed right now, but their eternity will be transformed.
by knowing you, Lord. Lord, stir our hearts. Keep it on our hearts. Lord, help us not to put other things in the way, but just to be, know your heart for the world around us, the world that you came to save, Jesus, the lost world that you came to save. May we as your people have that same heart, I pray. Help us, Jesus. Help us, help us, help us. Amen.